So glad to have all of you here tonight. Acts chapter 16, as we continue our series through the book of Acts. I want to remind us all as we're in this part of the book of Acts, looking at sort of the missionary journeys of Paul and his team, that this is about so much more. And we're going to be reminded of that tonight. As you read and study the book of Acts, let's not just think of it as this is just Paul's missionary journeys. This is the unfolding of redemption across the planet. This is God marching through the nations uh, in Paul's day as he expands his kingdom on earth through the gospel. That's what Acts is all about. Every person that comes to Christ, Jesus is building his church. He's expanding his kingdom. And Jesus is doing the same thing today through our church and other churches and through you individually. Everyone that we influence, every life that we touch is Jesus expanding his kingdom. We are always part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I want to remind us before we get into Acts chapter 16 as well tonight, what the very last words of, ver of chapter 15 remind us of. That Paul's ministry was not just evangelization. It wasn't just about bringing people to Christ. It was about following the Great Commission, making disciples. And the only way to make disciples is by having strong churches. And that's why at the end of chapter 15, we are reminded that's exactly what Paul and his missionary team are doing. They're not just reaching people for Christ. They are strengthening the people of God within the church, which also means that we must be faithful to the church or else we're not going to be as strengthened as we could be. God gave gifted people to the church so that his people could grow stronger. With that said, Paul continues his journey and he comes to a region that I'm going to call the triple cities, Derbe, Lystra, and Iconium. We're familiar in our country with the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, the twin cities in, in Minnesota. Well, these cities were configured in such a way that they were in very close proximity to each other. And he finds there in this region a disciple, an already devoted follower of Jesus Christ named Timothy. It is a reminder to us that we never know what a day may bring for us and the blessings that a day may bring. Yes, the challenges, the trials, but also the blessings. And Paul's going to wake up this day and he's going to meet someone that will forever change his life, Timothy. Notice that Timothy, a little bit about his family here. He comes from a Jewish woman, but a Greek father. And it's very important that we note that only one, his mother, was a believer. I hope that will be an encouragement to some single parents out there or even to some what I call spiritual single parents. Those who are married, uh, but they're married to a spouse that is not a believer. You can see that that did not prevent 
Timothy from growing in the Lord and becoming a disciple of Jesus, even though he grew up in a home where both parents were not Christian. And then it says, the brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They were giving a good report to Paul about this young man. And we're skipping over a lot. And I don't mean we're skipping a lot in Acts. It's just Luke is skipping over, obviously, a lot that went on behind the scenes. But basically, Paul came to a point in his interaction with this young man that he chose Timothy to be his partner in ministry and to accompany him. Now, we know that Paul had Barnabas as a partner for a while, and then obviously they split. And Paul now is having Silas as his ministry partner. Timothy won't officially become his partner for a little while, but here's what I want to say about Paul and Timothy. Paul discovers through ministering with Timothy and and, and doing life in ministry with Timothy that Timothy became Paul's not only partner in ministry, but Paul discovered his kindred spirit in Timothy. In fact, he says that in the book of Philippians. He tells the Philippians when he's sending Timothy to them, he says, I have no one like Timothy who I have discovered is my kindred spirit, one who we're aligned, one, we have the same philosophy of ministry, we're on the same page, we, we look at things the same, we, we feel about things the same. Paul said, I never had another person in my life like Timothy. Now, the reason I want to emphasize this is back when we started our series on David, and we talked about that very special once-in-a-lifetime friendship between David and Jonathan, I said that I've only discovered one other friendship in the Bible that comes even close to the kind of friendship that David and Jonathan had. And for me, that friendship, that partnership, is the one between Paul and Timothy. I see a true kindred spirit, if you will. They, they were like Jonathan and David in that they were, they were one soul in two bodies. Notice, though, also something very important in verse 3. As he was sort of bringing Timothy in under his wing, he asked Timothy to make a great selfless sacrifice. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the places that they were going to go. Now, this may cause confusion for many because we just have been through that passage in that chapter where there was this great debate, great disagreement, and great decision by the Jerusalem council to make sure that we had a unified message that we're saved by grace through faith and that we're not saved by any works, including circumcision. So why now is Paul strongly encouraging his new partner in ministry to get circumcised? Because it has nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. He's already saved. He's already a disciple. Paul is saying to Timothy, I want to expand your opportunities for service. I want to widen your possibilities 
to minister. In other words, we're in a strategic time, Timothy, where God is taking Jew and Gentile, and he's bringing them together in one church, in one body under Christ. And right now, Timothy, we're in this sort of crazy transitional season. And there are many Jews who are not going to give us even an open door or the time of day to share the gospel or to talk about Jesus unless they see in some way that we're willing to maybe compromise a little and be accommodating and be even sensitive to where they're coming from. Oh, my folks, we all need to hear this principle and be reminded of this. This is the essence and heart of what God is looking for with his people. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. The church is not about us and about our agenda and just what we want. It's part of being something much bigger than ourselves. And Timothy could have said, there ain't no way I'm getting circumcised. First of all, I'm not a little boy anymore. I'm not a baby. I'm a young man. This is going to hurt. It's going to lay me up for weeks. And you're asking me? No, there was no hesitation. That There was no debate. Timothy was willing to go through it, not because he needed it to be saved, but because he wanted to have the widest expanse and the, the greatest possibilities he could to be used by God to touch other people's lives. In a day and an age where even churches are sort of advertising themselves as it's all about you and, and the church is about us, it is exactly the opposite of the message of the Bible, which states the church is not about us. The church is about God. And when we become part of the church, we are to pick up our cross daily and die to self and follow Jesus Christ. Therefore, what God calls us to when we are part of the church is to be willing to selflessly sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others so that God can use us. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces a great harvest. We have to get people to see this principle. When you become part of the body of Christ, it's not about us any longer. It's about how can I lay down my life? How can I selflessly make sacrifices in order for God to use my life to touch more and more people? Am I willing to make those sacrifices? It's not going to be to be circumcised, but God's going to call us to make selfless sacrifices in order to be used in a greater way to expand our opportunities and to widen our possibilities for ministry and service. Verse 4, as they went through the towns, they passed on the decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the Gentile believers to obey. And then notice verse 5. The churches were growing spiritually because they were being strengthened in faith, 
and they were growing physically or numerically because God was increasing their number every day. Spiritually and physically. That's the way God wants to see his church grow. And it is all about growing. Each of us growing up in the Lord and being built up in the Lord. And then God using our growth and our overflow of our personal walk with God to touch other people's lives. So what an amazing time in Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. For one very important reason, notice the most important thing, Paul found Timothy there, a person, a person. Not only to come alongside of Paul, because two are better than one, the book of Ecclesiastes says, but to give Paul a partner and a friend to do life and ministry with, unlike he would ever find in anyone else. And I'm sure it was great for Timothy, too, to have the Apostle Paul as his ministry partner. I'd have to say Timothy had a pretty good partner there in Paul. It's a reminder to us that the greatest friendships and partnerships are the ones where both are being mutually strengthened and mutually encouraged. It's never one-sided. It's where both are giving of themselves for the good of the other and for that team, if you will. And that's what Paul and Timothy did. Verse 6. They then went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, notice, prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. And this is why the book of Acts is also needed because it is a reminder to us about the importance of being dialed in to the Holy Spirit, about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and being able to hear the promptings of the Spirit and the leading and guiding of the Spirit because there will be times where we're going in a certain direction and, and making it, and, and the Holy Spirit says, nope, I, I don't want you to continue down that road. And we've got to know when the Holy Spirit is saying, keep going, and when he's saying, stop, and directing us in another direction. Now, we don't know why God prevented them, the Holy Spirit, God, prevented them from going in that direction. But here's what we know the Holy Spirit did do. Verse 7, when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that either. By the way, notice that the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7 is really also the Holy Spirit in verse 6. They are one and the same. What I mean by that is this is a great passage of Scripture that shows the unity of the Trinity. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one. So that the Holy Spirit would never lead anyone in an opposite direction that the Spirit of Jesus would. They would always be in harmony with each other. Where the Spirit of Jesus is leading his people is where the Holy Spirit is leading his people, you see. God never contradicts himself. But as they pass through, verse 8, Mishia, and went down to Troas, notice a vision, a divine revelation appeared to Paul during the night. A Macedonian man was standing there urging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, a couple things are happening here in these verses. 
First of all, you see the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus preventing them from going this way, but now through a divine revelation, through a vision, telling them, go this way instead. What's that tell us? What's that teach us? It teaches us this. God has a specific plan, and God is able to communicate that plan. And that should be an encouragement to us. Listen, God is not a shotgun God. God is a laser-focused God with his church and with each of us. God doesn't just say, well, just go out there and sort of let the chips fall where they may. No, God is going to say, I have a specific purpose and plan for you. And I want you to go not that way. I want you to go this way. And, and, and so again, we have to be careful that we're not trying to go in 10 different directions at the same time, because that's not of God. God has a specific purpose and a specific plan for his church and for his people. And again, God is very capable of communicating what that plan and purpose is. It, you never have to worry, because I've gotten this question many times, well, what if I miss the will of God for my life? Listen, if God really wants to get a message across to you, he knows how to do it. You won't be able to escape it. You won't be able to miss it. If God wants you to specifically go in another direction, he will let you know. If God wants you to keep going down the same direction, God will assure you and affirm you in that. But God is fully capable of communicating and making things clear to his people. Are we listening? Are we dialed into the Holy Spirit so that we know which direction we should either keep going or turning and going in another way? The other thing I want us to see from this part of the passage is this. God can bring those in need of help in contact with those who can provide help. Notice, the vision is this man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So the people in Macedonia, God knows, oh, they need help over there. Hmm, I have a team of people over here that can help them. I'm going to get them connected and hook them up. God is still doing the same thing today. First of all, he's looking out there and saying, who do I see that needs help? And are they willing to ask for help? Are they willing to seek help? Then God is also at the same time looking for those that he knows can match because of their gifts and abilities and talents and temperament and all that. He knows who it is that can help this individual or this group of people or this church. And God then will reveal to these people, I need you to go over and hook yourself with them because they need you. And are we willing then, when God is moving through the Holy Spirit in our lives, to help the people that God is moving us and leading us to help? And when we need help, are we humble enough to say, God, will you lead me to the right people in order to help me? Because God, he can network like no one else can. Because God knows everybody, knows everything about everybody, and God can bring together the people that need to be brought together when they need to be brought together. I hope that will be an encouragement to you. And then, verse 10, after Paul saw the vision, we attempted immediately to go over to Macedonia, concluding 
that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So they go. And part of the region of Macedonia was a city by the name of Philippi, verse 12. So you've seen some of the names of the letters of the New Testament of Paul. Galatia to the Galatians in verse 6, and now Philippi, the Philippian letter in verse 12. And we talked a little bit about Lydia several months ago. And I love this story of Lydia because in verse 14, first of all, she is the first convert technically in Europe. And it's a woman. And, and notice, it's a Gentile woman. She's a God-fearer, but again, just having great reverence and respect for God does not mean one is saved. One can be religious and respectful of a divine being and yet still not have personal faith in Jesus Christ. Yet again, if God knows she would be open to that and is willing for me to open up her eyes as we sung about and her heart, then God will make sure that the right people get to people like Lydia so that they can hear the gospel and be saved. And so notice, it says this God-fearing woman listened to us, listened attentively, was dialed in. And in a sense, what it's saying is, when she was listening to Paul and his team, she wasn't looking at that as being messages from human beings. She was hearing God's voice that was in birthing faith within her so that she could become a Christian. And the Bible says the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to respond to what Paul was saying. He supernaturally removed any obstructions and allowed her to respond to him in a proper way. God is still doing that today. And he's not just doing that with people that do not know him. He does that every day with his own people. We have to have our eyes opened and our hearts open to him so that he can truly reveal more of himself and so that he can enable us to respond to him. See, faith, as we talk about a lot as Christians, is our response to God's divine revelation. And God's faith is always a gift. That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. That faith, Paul says, it is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. In other words, even the ability to be able to respond to God is a gift that God gives. And so this woman opened up her heart and became a believer. And notice, after she became a believer, even her household became believers and they were baptized. And then I love this. She says to Paul and his team of missionaries, if you consider me to be a believer, if you, if you look at me and feel like I'm, I'm the real deal, I'm genuine, I place my faith in Jesus Christ, then come stay at my house. I want to be, I want to minister. I want to serve. I mean, right away, there's that heart of service and wanting to give back to God by ministering to God's people, you see. Then verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, 
a slave girl met us who had a spirit that enabled her to foretell the future by supernatural means. Oh, we need to talk about that. That is a reminder of why John tells us to test the spirits to see whether they are of God because everyone is out there ministering or doing things. It's either by the spirit of God or it's by another spirit that's not of God. And are those spirits powerful? Can they enable certain people to do certain things that normal human beings can't? Absolutely. But they're not gods. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They, they don't know all that God knows, but they certainly know more than what we do. And so we have to be careful again and be people of discernment and not allow ourselves just because we see supernatural things or hear of supernatural things or whatever coming. That may not be by the Spirit of God. That may be energized and enabled by a false spirit, an evil spirit, if you will. She brought owners a great profit by her ministry. And that's what it was all about. It wasn't about helping people. It was about making money. And she followed Paul and his team around for many days, it says in verse 18. And Paul finally had had enough. You know? I sort of feel like I'm that way to a point. I'll let something go for a while and a while and a while, but eventually I get to the point like, I'm done. And most of the time you don't want to see me if I get like that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I've taken it, I've taken it, I've taken it, and I'm done. That's where Paul was. He's like, I'm done with this girl following us. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. This is a believer acting in accord with the Spirit of God. Paul knew that the Spirit of God wanted him to use the power and authority that God gave him to cast this spirit out of this young woman. Now, when it came out, obviously she didn't have that ability anymore. And so notice it says in verse 19, the hope of her prophet making money for her, basically, handlers was gone. So they got upset. They got upset because they were losing money. They didn't care about the better lives that were going to come because of people coming to faith in Christ. That didn't matter to them. All that mattered to them, all they cared about was money. And when they were losing money, they wanted to punish Paul and his associates. So they stir up the crowd. They get the crowd all lathered up. The crowd attacks them, and the magistrates tears off the clothes of Paul and Silas, verse 22, ordered them to be beaten, not just beaten. Notice, beaten with rods. How good do you think that felt? And after they had beaten them severely with rods, they threw them into prison and commanded the jail, jailer to guard them securely. It's one thing to get beaten by, say, a whip. It's another thing to get beaten by rods, hard metal rods. Can you imagine the bones that probably were broken and bruised and, and the lacerations and things over Paul and Silas's body, and yet notice through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit what their response is. 
through their pain, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Through their pain came what? Complaints? Griping? Why me, God? No. Through their pain came prayer and praise. Prayer and praise are not only powerful weapons. Prayer and praise are powerful witnessing tools. Because for many of us as Christians, it's not the act of worship itself as much as the context that our worship is found in. Any of us probably feel like praising the Lord and worshiping him when everything's going well in our life circumstantially and we're feeling good and, and all of that. I mean, and maybe when we come on a Sunday and we're, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier. But how about on those kind of days like Paul and Silas were having? Where we were not only physically in pain, but we are emotionally in pain, and we are spiritually in pain. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that in those times we could lift up our voices in prayer and praise to God. And yet what a powerful weapon and what a powerful witness it is. Because you can imagine, it says, all the prisoners and the guards were listening to them. Who are these men? We've just witnessed what they've went through. And instead of cussing and griping and complaining and arguing, and everything, they're praying to their God. They're still talking to their God instead of being mad at him for allowing such a terrible thing to happen to them. They're, they're still praising him? Yeah. Because remember, again, this whole book is a great example and encouragement for us from people of the early church to say, it's not about us. That when we become part of the body of Christ in the church, we need to have the mindset that we are all about, Lord, I want to lay down my life for your glory and for the benefit and blessing of others. And I am willing, God, to do whatever that takes so when we find ourselves in places like painful prisons, if you will, like Paul and Silas, we need to look at it from God's perspective. God's hand of protection all of a sudden didn't fail us. God purposefully had a specific plan and purpose to put us there so that he could use us to touch other people's lives. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Because God knew there were some people inside that prison that needed to know me. So God sends an earthquake, an earthquake so powerful that it literally shakes the walls of the prison and the prisoners are literally set free. And the jailer especially, he's freaking out. He's like, I'm dead because I'm responsible for all of these. And once they escape, they're going to hold me responsible. I'm dead. And he begins to get ready to take his own life. And Paul sees what's going on and says, basically, stop. Do not harm yourself. We're all here. And we're not going anywhere. And then this man, 
is brought outside to Paul and asks the most important question any human being could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? How did he even get to that point? Because the Holy Spirit had been working on him. And maybe all he needed, that, that next little nudge, that, that last 10 yards, if you will, before the goal line, all that he needed maybe was what he was hearing from Paul and Silas as they prayed and what worship songs they were singing. Maybe that was the only little bit left for that man that he needed. And man, he knew like, I, I, I need a relationship with God. But how do I get there? Paul doesn't take him into all this theology and all this. Paul makes it very simple. And, and it's a reminder to us that there's not a person watching here tonight or a person who's sitting here tonight that couldn't respond the same way Paul did. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Put your personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else. Well, I love the rest of the story. Obviously, the Bible tells us that he became a believer that night as well as his whole household, just like Lydia. And then you see evidences of salvation. Verse 33, he takes them, he takes them to his home, he washes their wounds, they have this precious time where he and his whole family are baptized. Notice right away, they didn't have to go through baptismal classes or anything like that. <clears throat> and then the jailer brings them into his house, feeds them, and there rejoicing greatly that they had come to believe in God and especially the jailer, together with his entire household. You can just imagine, just a, a few hours earlier, he was going to take his life and go out into eternity without God. And God said, no, I'm not going to let that happen. You need help, jailer? I got some people that can help you. And I'm going to bring you together. See, when the man in the vision to Paul said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Little did Paul know all the people that were going to be helped just by them making that one step of faith. And that's what God is looking at in our lives as well. Well, let me wrap this up tonight. Go all the way down to the last verse of chapter 16. This is precious as well. Notice Lydia comes back into the story. After they were left out of prison and they left his house, Guess whose house they go back to? Lydia. And when they saw their brothers and their sisters, notice they encouraged them and then departed. Now, don't miss that. Those who had been beaten and imprisoned were the ones doing the encouraging. I know what that's like. I've been there. And you probably have too many times. There's been many times as a pastor, I've went to a hospital. And I'll even get more specific. Yes, the hospital of adults, but I'll tell you, there have been many times where I've went to some place like Phoenix Children's Hospital. And I went there thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to go in there and God just use me to be an encouragement to that little boy or that little girl who's dying of cancer or has some terrible disease. 
and I'm the one that gets encouraged. They're the ones suffering, and I'm the one getting encouraged. That's what God does. That's the kind of power that God can have in our lives. These men had just been beaten with rods. I'm sure they were still smarting and hurting. And yet, as soon as they went into the house, what were they wanting to do? I want to encourage all of you. Wow. It shows the difference that the Holy Spirit of God can make. If we get nothing else, let's make sure we get this out of this chapter. When you and I become part of the church, when we become part of the body of Christ, we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves, and it's not about us any longer. When we become part of the church, we lay aside our lives and our rights and our agenda, and we say, God, I am a living sacrifice. I am crawling up on the altar. I am dying to self. You use my life however you choose to use it. Whatever your specific plan is, however you can bring yourself glory, however you can touch other people's lives, however you can bring other people to Christ, however you can strengthen disciples in Christ, you use me, God. And when God sees that there are people like that, there is no limit to what God can do. And that's the kind of people God wants to see fill his church. Not the people that are coming to church, making it all about them wanting the church to be all about what they want and, and meeting their needs and making sure the church is what they want it to be. No, no, it's about God, whatever you want, God. Whatever you want. And that's coming through loud and clear as we study the book of Acts. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for people that are willing to lay it all down for you and for others. God, may we be willing to do the same. God, such precious stories, and yet there were so many more. You just chose to tell us about Paul and his companions. But there were so many other Christians at the very same time doing the very same thing. And God, the same thing is true today. I know, God, there are folks in this church that lay down their lives every day for others, who pour out themselves for others to serve, to minister. And God, I thank you for them because that's one of the reasons why our church is as strong as it is. But God, we know we can be stronger. We know we got room for growth. We need to keep growing spiritually. And then as you bless, adding people to our fellowship. And so God, I pray that all of us Lord, would be willing to follow the example of the people of the early church who realized it wasn't about them. It was all about you. Settle us, God, in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.